Hello there, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to this special episode of Mood Food. We really appreciate you taking the time to download us today. Mood Food Series 1, and this special episode is an interview with Isaac Ford Jr. He is the author of the amazing book, Up From the Bottom, a memoir. The views expressed in this podcast called Mood Food are mine and mine alone, and in no way do the opinions expressed represent the views, positions, or opinions of the Department of the Air Force, the Department of Defense, the United States government, including resources listed during today's podcast. A big shout out to everyone out there that continues to download us and stream us. We really appreciate that. If you have downloaded us from the Apple Podcast platform, could you take just a moment and give us a review? We would greatly appreciate that. And if you have any show ideas, let us hear from you. Email us at moodfoodpodcast at gmail.com. Keep reviewing the items shared in each podcast because the more you review, the more you will see yourself making progress as you are provoked by situations that triggers those unhealthy thinking patterns and unwanted reactions. Reviewing is part of your mood food diet. And as I said earlier, my special guest today is Isaac Ford Jr. He is the author of the amazing book, Up From the Bottom, a memoir. I first met Isaac in 2012 at the University of Southern California. Today, I'm very honored to have him on the show, and I hope his story inspires you and blesses you in some way. So let's take you to the interview right now. Isaac, thank you so much for being with us today on the podcast. I do have a few questions for you, but I think it's important that we let the audience get to know you a little better. So can you tell the audience a little about yourself? So Jason, uh, thank you for the opportunity to be able to be a part of your podcast today. And uh, I want to take this opportunity to congratulate you on all the things you've done in your career uh, your careers, uh, having been in both the Navy and now Air Force and, and, and now quickly moving up the ranks, uh, on your family and on this wonderful podcast. So a little about myself. I was born in Washington, D.C. Uh, I grew up in East Augusta, Georgia, a place that the locals affectionately called the bottom. And, uh, and so during that time frame, uh, I did a lot of jobs early on, um, I spent 25 years in the Marines, but I, I spent some uh, some of the, the first couple of years in the reserves. And during that time, I was able to do uh, quite a few other jobs uh, that kind of play out throughout the book. Uh, but it's been a journey. Um, I retired from the Marines about 11 years ago, and that's where uh, I met you at USC. Yes, and, sir. Uh, and so I left USC after 2016, started a couple of businesses, wrote this book, I'll do some motivation speaking. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up, Jason. Hey, you know, I believe it. I'm the same way. I think it's what makes us so unique. And we're always trying to go to that next step, primarily, I think, to help others and to really bring highlights to areas uh, in the society that needs to need a lot of improvement and needs a lot of change. And so we are agents of that change. And so, no, I appreciate everything you've done for me, and I would not be where I am today. I can guarantee it if it wasn't for you, and I appreciate your time today and us talking about 
this wonderful book that you wrote. And so I'm going to ask you a few questions specifically related to the book. And then feel free to add any extra information in there that you would like for the listeners to hear in regards to what's happening in today's society. What inspired you to write this awesome book? I've read it twice. And I, I have recommended it to so many friends. What what was your inspiration behind writing this book? Well, first of all, thank you for supporting me. Um, this book, Jason, has been in me for uh, well over 25 years. It's something that I always knew that I wanted to write and that I needed to write. Uh, but the timing, the timing was, was a big question. Um, for obvious reasons, it, it wouldn't have been best time to write it when both my parents were alive. Um, but a chance encounter uh, that I had with my CPS caseworker hmm. from 41 years ago in a hotel lobby down in San Diego in 2018 uh, gave me that push and you know, that this is the time. The time is right to do it now. Um, it's something out of the movies. You couldn't make it up. And so I greeted the two ladies and um, struck up a conversation. Less than 10 minutes later, we were in the lobby of the hotel, and we're waiting for the next seminars to kick off. And she asked me a question. I asked another question. And both of us knew at that point that we crossed paths decades ago, and specifically about 41 years ago. And the last time that she and I were in the same space with each other wow. was in ICU. At Augusta, in, at the uh, University Hospital in Augusta, Georgia, and I was fighting for my life. So the last time that my CPS caseworker and I were in the same space was 41 years ago at University Hospital, and I was at University Hospital in ICU uh, because my left lung was pierced by a steak knife. And uh, that was done by the most trusted person on the planet. And mm. so that moment in the lobby, in front of people I'd never seen before, um, I, I had a moment. And it was, I got very emotional. emotional. And uh, so I couldn't focus on the rest of the week at the conference. I called home to Augusta, Georgia to... Uh, my elders and I talked to my siblings and they really couldn't believe what I was telling them. And so I knew, Jason, that this was something bigger than just a coincidence. And I felt like it was, uh, it was God's way of saying it's time for you to, to, to deal with this. And so I went home and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to write about this. And so I wrote up from the bottom of memoir as a part of my own healing to complete uh, the healing that uh, I never really completed mm -hmm. and also uh, to to help other people regardless of what the circumstances to help them to get through struggles and, and, and tough spots challenges in their lives right and the overarching theme of the book is what I wanted was that the book was was uh, it's about it's about tragedy resilience about forgiveness and unconditional love and at the end of the day I wanted them to take take away from that that no matter where you start in life no matter what happens to you 
with hard work, with determination, with faith, and by surrounding yourself by positive, affirming people, systems, energy. Yes. You can still write your own incredible narrative and live life to the fullest until the music stops. And yes, that's, sir. That's what I tried to accomplish with this book. Yes, sir. And I and I know since I've read it twice, I definitely am now inspired to read it again because it keeps me grounded. It, it, it helps me to recognize that process that you took to heal and what it took to get your attention that, hey, you need to address this now. And you had mentioned the title, Up From the Bottom, A Memoir. Can you tell us a little bit about how many titles you may have come up with? How did you settle for this title? What's the significance of it? First of all, um, my editor, uh, Lakia Brandenburg out of Atlanta, she's phenomenal. Um, she mentioned to me as we were at, uh, and at the point of you know, fine-tuning the last uh, selections and, and making the final selection for a title, she said, Isaac, you talk about the bottom throughout your story, the bottom, the bottom. Now, perhaps you should name the, the, the book should be named Up from the Bottom. That's, that's a great idea. So <laughs> I credit Lakia Brandenburg for helping me to narrow down the selections that I had. Um, initially, I was going to call it Chance Encounter. Okay. But um, ultimately, um, this was the best fit, and I appreciate uh, her suggesting that. And I think it, it uh, speaks to the book, and I'm glad that I uh, made that selection with her assistance. Absolutely. And it really does tell the story of how you how you made it up from that bottom, from maybe the emotional side, from the life experience there. Uh, you really have come full circle. And then the product is an amazing book that people definitely need to read and be inspired from because they will be able to hopefully heal from their own issues and concerns that they may be dealing with or write their own story. As you had said earlier, you know, we, the, the best authors, I once heard the best authors of your book is you, the person that lived the life that experienced everything and went through it. And I, I heard that on the show one time. I'm like, that's so true because we have all the facts and the figures contained from within. All we have to do is narrate it and put it on paper. So, you know, that, I, I love the title. And it certainly does fit throughout the entire process of the book and in keeping with that theme. Can you tell us what did you learn about or what were you surprised with the most when you were writing this book? Well, first of all, I had a, a laser focus and, and I had people ask me, say, you think you think you're going to publish it? You think somebody will publish it? You, you think that you'll get support? But after that experience at the hotel, I didn't need support. I said, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to publish this book. And I'm just going to do it because I felt like it was bigger than me now. And I felt like you know, with a lot of things factored in, my, my kids are grown. I've got a nine-year-old granddaughter now. Uh, the book is dedicated to Zelia Ford. That's my granddaughter. And I've done well by the grace of God. And I should tell people over the years sometime uh, that I'm not even supposed to be here. And, and so – I felt like at this point in my life, I need to do something that's bigger than just take care of my own stuff. But I think that, you know, God allowed me to be able to get through a lot of the hills and the valleys because he wanted me to be uh, able to help others with some things that helped me get through. Uh, so absolutely. I had a single absolutely. focus and in, 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 in determination that I was going to get it done. And specifically, I wanted to 
um, I wanted to have the book done within in time enough to be able to launch it by April of 2019 because I met my CPS caseworker there. And after that first meeting, uh, when we reconnected there at the lobby, we missed each other for the rest of the week. I had a lot of questions for her. Wow. A lot of things I wanted to ask her that I wasn't privy to. And just as quickly as she appeared, she disappeared. And so I wanted the book to be ready by the next year's conference. And I asked my editor, I said, tell me what I need to do to make that happen. And she said, well, you need call me. You got 35, 40,000 words. Okay. So I called in about four and a half months and I had them. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, you got a book. I said, yes. Because as you just said a minute ago, it was already there. Right. It was already there. Uh, so when I finished procrastinating, it was going to flow. And, uh, and so I was hoping that at the end of the day that, well, my goal was to not only make this something that would, could be instructive and helpful for others, but also wanted to keep people whole, Jason. Right. So I was very careful about speaking my truth, but also, and so when I talked about the bottom, I talked about, I mean, I had to deal with the themes such as living in the projects and having our apartment broken into while we're in the apartment. Wow. Abandonment by my father, alcoholism, mental illness, the incident, and overt discrimination. Yes, sir. Uh, social justice with law enforcement, just a, a whole lot of things that kind of speak to a lot of things we're dealing with even to this day. I wanted to reflect on fond memories that I had of my family, my community. Uh, so I talked at length about people and experiences to help create pathway for my current success. And that is definitely articulated well in the book. And I definitely encourage everyone to pick this book up because, and we'll tell them before we end today, where they can pick it up and how, if they have any questions or if they would like for you to come and do a speaking engagement, how to get in touch with you. And that way you can keep telling your story and making that direct impact. And I think this is a great segue into how do you relate or compare the events and personal experiences that you discussed in the book to today's events and your experiences with racism without going too much into detail about what you put in the book in regards to that. But how would you say it relates to today? It's almost eerie, uh, some portions of it. Of course, we've always had, there's always been, there always will be childhood trauma, alcoholism, substance abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, those challenges are still prevalent today. It's opioids and other things, uh, but alcoholism and drug drug addiction and the carnage that, that it has on families, that's still relevant today. In terms of social justice, you know, the there's a chapter that's that titled Protect and Serve. And that, you know, if you juxtapose the things that I talk about in law enforcement as a police officer from 86 to 89 in Augusta, Georgia, and the things that are going on right now, it's, uh, it's, it's mind-boggling. About 32 years since I left the police department. But the main thing, one of the biggest differences from, from now and then is Everybody has a cell phone now. They have cameras. It's videotaped. Mm -hmm. uh, but those things were concerns back then. And uh, I truly learned what racism was, Jason. Even though I grew up in the Deep South, when I became a police officer. Wow. And we talk about now, you know, why officers that? Where are they at? 
they should have this, they should have that. Um, I stood up against police profiling back then as a police officer about abuse of authority and systemic racism within the police department. I said and did a lot of things that people clamoring for police officers to do today, but I didn't have the support of uh, the powerful police union, any of those things. They tried to destroy me, literally. Mm. But if I had the, the chance to do it again, I would do it all again. And I'm proud today now at almost 55 years old that I had the courage to do that at 20 through 23 years old. Yes, sir. And what keeps you motivated and gives you hope that some way, shape, or form, th things will change? Well, first of all, officers of good conscience are appalled by what some within the ranks do, by the decisions of their department's leadership and their unions. I believe uh, most law enforcement officers are professional, but there are criminal elements within every agency that abuse their power and prosecute their biases. Yes, sir. And uh, I don't believe it's an issue of training, Jason. I, I really don't. I don't think it ever has been. Right. When it comes down to the use of deadly force, 32 years ago, here was the rule. I could use deadly force to protect my life to pre protect your life or a forcible felony back then. That's, that's what we described. Wow. But right now today, on paper, the same thing applies. Police officers are supposed to be able to use deadly force to protect their life or another person's life. So I've watched in horror over the years, dozens, hundreds have died at the hands of police officers for the most mundane calls and infractions. And say, how do we get here? Right. But period. That's it. That's the rule in terms of the use of deadly force. And so the death of George Floyd and countless others, culminating with his death, had such a profound in this country across uh, and across the globe, people from all walks of life, every race, creed, gender, sexual orientation. Right. This one is different. I live in Temecula, California. Uh, our mayor, about a week and a half ago, uh, he showed us this summer's progress continued to be made when he said publicly that no innocent African-Americans have ever been killed by police. Mm. So it's about leadership, right? just like in the military with the Navy and the Marine Corps getting rid of the Confederate flag. I never thought I'd see that. Right. So I think something's happening now. And I uh, I was on social media last night, and I got a, a message from a young lady that's a colleague, and I'll leave the organization off. But she did something that no one's ever done. She's a white female in my almost 55 years of life, and it moved me incredibly. She said, Isaac, I saw, I heard things that were painful, that were wrong. I wish I would have said something back then. Yeah. I want to know how I can be better if, if I see it again. I haven't talked to her in about six years, but that moved me. And that lets me know that this is different. People of goodwill have been moved by the series of events. And I think that at the end of the day, we're going to be in a better place as a country sooner or not later. Basically what it boils down to, you see something, say something. And for people that feel like this is all too hard to understand, if they simply ask the question, Jason, would this be okay if this was your father, right. your husband, your son, your grandson, your wife, your daughter, your classmate, your colleague, your church member, would it be okay? And if you can ask that question, answer that question, then I, I think that covers everything. That's all the yes. translation that anybody needs for those that have a hard time understanding. Right. Exactly. How would you say that the different races and ethnicities, how can how can we support the African-American communities during this time and going forward together in the future? You know, staying, staying within boundaries and also um, respecting culture and beliefs. But how can the different races and ethnicities really step up and help the African-American community by supporting? Well, first of all, by looking at the numbers and the rallies and the protests I've been to, it's happening. 
Yeah. You know, just by being present and just by, by, by acknowledging and showing up um, in Temecula. I mean, I was blown away. I mean, I've been out here for 16 years, and we typically see there's a certain corner as you get off the 15 coming into Temecula where you see a lot of rallies, you see Trump, you see a lot of Republican, a lot of um, more conservative views espoused on that corner. But to see the demographics on the corner the last two weeks and the numbers of white people, it moved me. And I see it all over the, I mean, the television, all over the country, all over the world. So that's the first thing, acknowledging. And then yes, I think sir. cultural Think becoming culturally competent and, and just sitting talking to people and we learn about the more we know about each other, the better. And we do right. it in the military. Absolutely. We do it in the military. Absolutely. And the military is not perfect, but we do a better job than society has across the board because you have no choice. Exactly. Um, so I think that's, that's the first thing. And then, uh, going back to the first thing, the first question. And, and so if we do that, and it's not about you got to carry the weight of the world, the guilt. I didn't do that. My grandfather didn't do that. But just acknowledge that systemic racism has played a big part in all of this. A lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and the rebel flags and a whole bunch of other things that we see. That's not helping us heal as a country. Right. So acknowledgement and mutual respect. And opportunities, too. I think that, you know, everyone should have equal opportunity to excel and succeed in life. And yes. as we have seen it over and over again, the impoverished, the people that have been kept in poverty and beaten down over the years and not given those opportunities, I think that that's something that needs to change, too, I mean, is the policies that dictate that and will empower people and inspire people to, to do more, to be more. But it's hard to do that when you live in societies that don't support that. Yeah, in, in mental health, we talk about lenses. And um, I can't see everything through a female lens, through a whole range of different lenses. Uh, but what I can do is I can try to understand and we just need to understand that other people, they view things through a different lens than we do. And that's okay. But we can't be dismissive of the lens for which they view things. Absolutely. Very true. A lot of work needs to be done there for sure. And a lot of obstacles to overcome. But I'm not giving up on humanity. I'm going to keep pressing forward and, you know, making those connections and staying connected and talking with you over the years since USC and building off of that positivity living that positivity, even when times get rough and tough. I know at the end of the day, like if I needed you for something, I could call you and you'd be right there. Um, and I appreciate that about you Absolutely. and your story and, and what you're sharing to us and to the world uh, about the importance of what's going on today. What would you say is the um, is the most favorite or famous quote that you would like to tell the audience today if by chance you have one? Uh, I know in your book, you have amazing quotes in there. I'm not going to give any of them away, but I, what would you say is most inspirational to you? There are many quotes and verses that I use, have used, and continue to. Uh, but I had to commit several poems from memories from years back, and one really stuck with me uh, when I found out the history behind it, that Nelson Mandela, when he was interned at Robben Island in South Africa during apartheid, he used this poem, he committed it to memory, and he recited daily, and it helped him to get through some very difficult times in his life. In fact, 27 years of life in prison. And so it resonated with me. So I've been doing that. I've been 
he's fighting this poem a couple of times a month and during some tough times in my life as well. And it goes something like this. Out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. Under the still clutch of circumstance, I've not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but embowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears, looms but the horrors of a shade, and yet the menace of the geese finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate are charged to punish a scroll. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. Invictus by William Ernest Henry. Very impactful. Very personal. So Isaac, tell us, how can people get in touch with you if they would like to have you as a special guest, uh, a presenter to talk about your book and or your, your personal story or for motivational speaking purposes? Well, the, the, the best way to contact me is through my website. And it's Isaac, I-S-A-A-C-F-O-R-D, IsaacFord.org. And on the website, uh, there's information that you could leave. Of course, it has my email, IsaacAlphaMan at gmail.com, and my phone number. So I speak all over the country to a wide range of different topics, from military to adversity to resilience. And for the last year, my book was written as a curriculum at USC School of Social Work, and it's being used as a case study for resilience. So colleges, universities, so love the bill to come out and talk, uh, speak, and just contact me. And yeah. this is also available on Amazon as well. I was going to ask, uh, where can they pick up the book to order it? And I hope everyone will. You will not be disappointed. And I know that they will get a blessing out of what your Up From the Bottom, a memoir, uh, means to you. But also, they'll be able to pl- apply what you have articulated so well in the book to their own personal lives, no matter who they are or what background they come from. I guarantee you there's something in this book that they can apply to hopefully inspire them and empower them to make some changes in their life that they want to and make amends and and keep moving forward even through the most adverse times. So Isaac, I really appreciate you being with us today. You've been a blessing to me and I want to have you on more and more and more as as we get further down the road. I think it's important that people stay connected and hear the stories that are out there. And I appreciate you being with us today. I appreciate you, Jason. Thank you for uh, the platform that you that you provided uh, for so many. And I don't know when you sleep, uh, but uh, you're a clinician by day, a commission officer, and you're working a doctoral degree, you've got a family, and then you've got this, this world-class podcast. So thank you. I'm proud of you. And I look forward to seeing the wonderful things that, that are here for you, Jason. Thank you so much, sir. You'll definitely be part of all of that, because you already have been. And once again, thank you so much, Mr. Isaac Ford Jr., for joining us for today's podcast of Mood Food. It was an honor and privilege to have you on today's show, and I look forward to having you on more often. Thank you so much for joining us for today's broadcast of Mood Food, everyone. Please make sure that you subscribe to us, you rate us, you like us, recommend us to all of your family and friends. Remember the disclaimer at the beginning. I'm sticking to that, and 
remember to keep your mood full of positive mental food. And I'm going to leave you today with a very special, very special quote from Maya Angelou. And I hope you get a blessing out of this quote. And it goes like this. It is time for parents to teach young people early on that in diversity, there is beauty and there is strength. Be safe, everyone. And until next time, I'm your host for Mood Food Podcast, Jason Gordon. Thank you.